right, we are going to be continuing in our Advent series this morning by looking at Luke chapter 2. So if you want to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, I'll be reading from there this morning. If you don't have your Bible with you or you're having a hard time finding it, we'll have the words on the screens next to me so that you'll be able to follow along. But once again, we'll be in Luke chapter 2, and I'm going to be reading starting in verse 8. In Luke chapter 2 and starting in verse 8, it says, In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angel, angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So for this Advent series, we are considering the message of the angels to the shepherds. And in a sense, what we're trying to do is to place ourselves in the shepherd's shoes. Because it's interesting if you think of it this way, in a sense, we're all like the shepherds in that we are all people who uh, hear the, uh, the evangel, right, the good news. Uh, we, we, we are all people who hear the message of the gospel and then are called to respond to that message. None of us are, uh, are, are just eyewitnesses to Jesus with no intermediary messenger. We all hear the proclamation. We all hear the declaration, whether it's through a preacher, whether it's through a person sharing the gospel with us. And we then, after hearing that proclamation, respond to it. And so the shepherds are just like all of us in this story. Hearing the gospel message, the good news of great joy that the angel says to them, and then they are to respond to that message. And so since we can really identify with the shepherds here and see how, in a sense, we're all like the shepherds, I thought it might be interesting for us to look at the shepherd's message, uh, sorry, the angel's message to the shepherds to consider what we have to learn from it, uh, putting ourselves in their shoes, what we have to learn from their message and learn about what it means to respond to the message, to, be, to respond to Christ. Last week, we looked at the first phrase in their message whenever they told them to don't, do not be afraid or fear not. Today, we're looking at what they call or how they characterize their message as being one of good news. So we're going to ask a couple of questions of them. First of all, what is the news? What makes it good? And then what does it mean for us? So this good news they claim. What is the news? What makes it good? And then what does that mean for us? Let's begin by considering what is the news. So you might remember this story, but back in 2018, there was a group of, uh, of boys. It was actually a, a, a Thai soccer team. Over in Thailand, there was a group of uh, about uh, young teenage to pre-teenage boys soccer team who were with their coach, and they decided to go exploring this cave. 
they'd done it many times before. Their coach was actually really experienced in going to explore uh, the caves. And so this was a, a regular routine thing for them. They decided to go explore the caves one day. But they did so during a time of year where uh, this, this area of Thailand can experience these incredible flash floods that come with little to no warning. They're especially dangerous if you are near any of these cave areas because wherever the flash floods come, they fill up those caves extremely, extremely fast. Well, the soccer team and their coach went exploring the cave on one of those days. A, a storm comes, flash flood ensues, and they have to try to escape through the cave, but they can't go out the way that they came because the floodwaters are coming in. So they just have to go deeper and deeper and deeper through the, the caverns and pathways of this cave until they get to this spot where they have just enough land for the coach and the boys to all sit upon and the waters stop. This tiny little pocket of air that they were trapped in, not knowing if anyone knew that they were down there, where they were, if help was coming or not. You might remember this story because this incredible effort was started by, initially by the locals there, people who knew that they had gone down the cave, they must still be in there, they don't, we don't know if they're alive, but we need to try to go find them. So the locals and first responders in their area were first on the scene, they brought in the Thai military, the Thai Navy SEALs, but then people from all over the world, uh, American military was there, British military was there, but then even ordinary divers, Guys who work during the week as like accountants and CPAs, but like to go uh, diving on the weekends, uh, showed up to help with the effort to rescue the boys. There's this incredible documentary you can watch about it called The Rescue that was made by National Geographic. Uh, it's on Disney+. Plus. I highly recommend it. It's an amazing, amazing story. But in the documentary, they actually capture the moment on camera where the first couple of divers, uh, they, they had figured out, they think they knew where the boys were, and they go and emerge out of the water, and then there were the boys and their coach huddled on the land together, seeing their rescuers. Is an incredible, beautiful moment. And what we have in Luke chapter 2 is essentially the divers, the rescuers coming and announcing the good news of rescue to us. The angels in Luke chapter 2 are like the divers to the world, emerging not up from the water, but coming down from heaven to declare the news of rescue to the world. That's what they're announcing. They said, we are here to pronounce to you good news. Well, what is their good news? They say it in, in verse 11 of our passage. They say, the good news is this. Today, in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. So the news is that in Bethlehem, there was a Savior who was born. Notice they don't just say a baby and notice they don't, they don't lead off with just a king or they don't say a prophet. They don't say a great teacher was born for you. What does the angel say? The angel says a savior was born to you. Now, what does that imply? I've got good news for you. And the good news is that it's a savior. It's a deliverer. It's a rescuer. What does that imply to the shepherds and to us? You need a rescue. That's what it tells them. So our first point is this about the good news, is that the good news is the birth of the Savior to a world that is in need of rescue. 
The good news is the news of the birth of a Savior to a world that is in need of rescue. Now, just let's imagine this, that the angel appears and the glory of God is shining around the angels, around the angel, and he declares to them this good news that a Savior is born to you. And the shepherds reply, who said we needed a Savior? right? Or imagine that the, that Thai soccer team that was trapped in the cave, they see their deliverers, their rescuers emerge up from the water and tell them, uh, don't be afraid. We're here to rescue you. We're here to get you out of here. And the boys look around and, and, and they say to the divers, who said we need a rescue, right? It's hard to imagine that in such a, a, a you know, kind of a silly example. But the first thing that we need to recognize based off this point is that we need a rescue because our world and even us, our, our hearts will buck up against this message that there's a savior here for you. And that savior implying that you cannot save yourself, that savior implying that you are in a situation that you need someone else to rescue you out of, that you need a deliverer to get you out of that situation that you are in. That's a message that our world and even we at times will push up against and not really like. Oh, a savior, you say? Who said I needed saving? Right? That's the good news. That's the news that the angel is delivering to them. So the first thing that we need to take away from this main point is that whenever we come to Christmas and whenever we put ourselves in the shepherd's sandals and hear the message, the first thing that we need to take away from it is that we need to recognize that we are in need of rescue. We need to recognize that. Even if you are a Christian, recognize even this, that there is still, because of sin, a tendency in your heart to push against that message to push against the recognition that you need rescue because our sinfulness, our fallenness, and all that is in us that wants to turn us away from the Lord will still want to push away from that and, and, and say, I don't need any rescuing. I don't need a savior. I don't need a deliverer. I've got everything under control. I think I'm doing all right. The first thing that you need, if the angel's Evangel, that was the, the Greek word for good news is evangel. The angel's evangel, the angel's good news is only for those who recognize that they need a rescue. If the shepherds would have said, who said we needed a savior? Well, then that news is not for them. It's something that's sometimes difficult for us to swallow. And so that's what we need to start with recognizing. That that tendency is in us. And so therefore we need to see, we need to Put it on the table, so to say, that we need a rescue. So what makes that good news? That's the news that he declares to them. There's a Savior born to them. But what makes it good? Because he says it is good news. Well, the deliverance of that news is only going to be good news to you. Like I said, if you recognize that you are in need of rescue, if you recognize the desperation of your situation, well, then it's good news. Because otherwise, there's nothing really good about it. Uh, otherwise, if we, if we don't even recognize that we need a rescue, well, then it's, it's insulting news, right? And, well, let's just face it, the gospel is quite insulting at first because it tells us that we need that rescue and that it is good because we cannot save ourselves. 
the angel declares that this is good news to them because the Savior will rescue them from something that they cannot rescue themselves from, and that is their sin. And it's the same thing for us. If we're going to hear the angel's message and accept it as good news, then we have to recognize this. We're in a situation that we need rescue, that we need help from outside, and that what makes this rescue so good is not just our desperation, but is because it is a rescue from our sin. So the second big point that I want us to see is this. The good news is that the Savior will deliver us from our sin. He is a Savior who will not deliver us from just a poor situation. He is not a Savior who will, who will deliver us from just a situation that might risk, uh, that, 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 that is risking our possessions or anything that we own. It's not just a situation that is threatening our bodily health or our physical well-being. It is a situation that is threatening our eternal well-being and our eternal destination, our standing with God. Whether we will be a child of the enemy or a child of God, whether we will be counted among the wicked or among the righteous, whether we will spend an eternity under his wrath or an eternity in his joy. The message of the angels to the shepherds and to us is that you are standing on the wrong side of the line. You are standing on the wrong side of the gap. You are not a child of God. You are a child of the enemy. You are not uh, in his favor, but you are under his wrath. But there's good news for you. There's a Savior who has come, who is powerful enough to rescue you from this situation. He's going to deliver us from our sin. What is our sin? We talk about that. We throw that word around. Maybe you've heard it before. What is our sin? What have we done that is so bad and so hellish that God would need to send a Savior to rescue us from it? What is sin? Well, simply, it's this. Sin, and there's all different kinds of ways that we can explain it, but really simply, sin is a rejection of the first commandment. Any other sin, anything else that we might do, starts with that. Sin is fundamentally, most simply put, a rejection of the first commandment. Do you remember the first commandment? It was, you shall have no other gods before me, in Exodus 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. And then we have the rest of the Ten Commandments that come after that. But you see, here's the issue, is that after that, he says, you know, you will make no images and and worship them. Uh, You'll honor the Sabbath. You'll honor your father and mother. And there's all the do nots, you know, or shall nots. You shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, all these other commandments that come after them. You know, and then there's the rest of what Scripture, which is really just an exposition of the Ten Commandments, there's the rest of what Scripture tells us about what sin is. But all of those sins start with that first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Because whenever we sin, like I said, no matter what it is, no matter what kind of sin it is, no matter what kind of law-breaking it is, uh, whether it be malice, whether it be greed, whether it be um, you know, any other kind of sin, we are saying this to God. We are saying, me before you. That's a breaking of the first commandment. 
He says, you have no other gods before me. What does it mean to have another God before Yahweh? It means to have another authority. It means allegiance that supersedes allegiance to him. And so anytime we choose someone else's word, even our own, over God's word, that's choosing a God over him. It's choosing to love something greater than we love him. And so sin, like I said, no matter what it is, is first this in our hearts, saying me before you, or money before you, sex before you, power before you, self-advancement before you, my glory before yours. No matter what kind of sin we commit, no matter what kind of law-breaking we engage in, at the core in our heart and our soul, this is what we are saying to God, breaking that first commandment. At the heart of every sin is the sin beneath them all, which we can sum up in the word pride. At the heart of it all, the most fundamental form of what sin is, and the sin beneath all of our other sins driving us to them is pride. It was pride that was, that was whispered into the ears of Adam and Eve in the garden to break the one rule that God, the Lord had given them. The one rule, he said, I've given you all of this good, uh, good creation, all of this good fruit. My one rule, show me that you love me. Show me that you will obey me with this one simple rule. Just don't eat from this tree. And what does the serpent whisper into the, their ear? He whispers something that, that springs up within them pride. He says, God doesn't want, you, doesn't want the best for you. God's afraid that you'll be powerful like him. Don't you think that you all could to determine what is good for you? you know, I'm, I'm giving a summary, a paraphrase. Pride in their hearts. So that in their heart, they would say to themselves, you know what? I can decide what fruit is good for me and then break the command. Pride is at the heart of all sin. It is the summary. It is the root, the sin beneath all sin. Pride. And what is the angel's message to us? A savior has been born. Like I said, what is the message? You need a rescue. <laughs> now, I just said, the message is deliverance from sin. Now, if sin is pride, then just take that and place it into the context of what the, the angel says. Our, our core issue is pride, and the angel says, you need a rescue. That's a direct insult to our pride. You know, imagine this. Imagine going up to, to Michael Jordan in his prime and saying to him, Michael, I've got good news for you. I'm about to teach you how to play. <laughs> what? You know, or, or, or go up to a master craftsman and tell him, you know what? I'm about to uh, teach you how to really do this carpentry thing. You know, that would be an, an assault to them, to, to their pride and what they had worked for. And the gospel message does that to all of us. You know, in our own eyes, we, are, we see ourselves as the Jordans, as the master craftsmen. We see ourselves as the supreme. We, we have pursued our own good above all else and listened to our own word. And then the angel comes to us and says, you need a rescue. You know, it's also an affront to what the world teaches. The world teaches us that we are to put ourselves at the center. That self-expression, that, that self-advancement, that pursuit of the self and self-care, however you want to put it, is the highest and best good in life. That there is nothing in our lives 
There's no other commitments in our lives that is not worth sacrificing for, number one. It's our world's message. But, you know, simultaneously, what does our world hate to see? Prideful people. You know why? C.S. Lewis explained it well. He said, it's because the prideful hate nothing more than to see pride in someone else. Why is God so concerned about our pride, though? What makes it so bad? Why is it such an affront? Why, does, why is it necessary that the, the first good news declared to the shepherds and to us is an assault, an affront? You know, it's like D-Day on pride. Why? Why does God take it so seriously? God hates pride because it keeps us from our greatest joy. God hates pride. He launches this assault on pride. He comes to rescue us from our pride, uh, from our pride because pride will keep us from the Christmas joy, from the great joy of the good news that the angel was declaring. Here's why. Because pride makes us turn in on ourselves. Pride makes us turn in on ourselves. It is, uh, as we say, self-centered. It is self-oriented. In other words, we could say pride makes us look downward. But in order to know God, we have to look upward. In order to know God, we cannot be self-centered, but we must be God-centered. We cannot be self-oriented, but we must be outwardly oriented. Not just to love God, but to engage in true, loving, fulfilling relationships with the people around us. We can't be oriented towards ourselves, but oriented outwardly. God hates pride because pride would keep us filled up on ourselves rather than empty so we might be filled by him. It keeps us with our eyes looking down upon ourselves rather than our eyes lifted upward to look at him so we might know him. And then in knowing him, finding our greatest joy. Finding that Christmas joy that the angels declare to the shepherds and to us. You see, to know God is truly an experience of joy. It's not just gaining a new set of propositions that you can fill your head with. To know God means to come into a relationship with him. But pride would keep us away from that. We're not interested in him. We're not interested in living underneath his word. We want to keep living under our, our, our own word. Like I said, like I said before, pride keeps us filled up on ourselves. But we need to be emptied. We need to have room made in our hearts so that we can be filled by the Lord. Because knowing him means to come into a relationship with him where we experience him. It's not just knowledge of being able to make some statements, but knowledge that comes through, uh, through the relational experience. Of knowing God, not just in our minds, but in our hearts and our souls. You see, that is great joy. What does this mean? How do we respond to it? It means that you need to confess your need for rescue. That's how you empty yourself of that pride. As long as you're unwilling to confess it. As long as you see, because on the one hand, you might recognize that it's there, but you're not willing to confess it. You might recognize that it's there, but you want to hold on to it. 
You want to stay filled up on your pride. You want to stay filled up on living by your own rules or for your own self-advancement. You want to stay filled up on sex, money, power, or whatever other vice it is that, that your pride is, is eating on. Right? You want to stay filled up on that. But here's what confession does. Confession is letting it go. It's releasing it. Think of, you know, think of it this way. Confession, whenever we state it, is literally, it's like deflating it. It's letting it out before the Lord. I am prideful, and I need your rescue. I need your forgiveness. Whenever you do that, what that pride that you're filled up on, it's like letting it out. It's letting go of it. It's taking away the power that it's been holding on you by exposing it before the light of of the gospel. So that then by being deflated from your pride, you might be refilled by the wind of the Spirit, by the joy of the Lord. Only those who recognize their pride for the hellish thing that it is, that it keeps us from God, and then confess that pride can be rescued. Rescued how? The angel says, A Savior is born. But how does he save? How does he rescue? A Savior is born, but the Savior was born so that he might die. The whole reason for Christmas was that Jesus, the God-man, might be born so that he could then die. Because in order for us to be rescued from our sin, from our pride, and from the consequences that our sin deserves. You know, another way that it's put in the New Testament is this record of debt, the the ledger of debt that we piled up because of our sin and our offense against God. This ledger piled up to an insurmountable, infinite debt that we are never capable of paying on our own. So how will we be saved? Well, either we pay our debt ourselves which means our destruction. Well, that's not salvation. Or someone else pays the debt. But who could pay the debt for us? Your parents cannot pay the debt. You know, Your friends cannot pay the debt. Dave Ramsey can't pay your debt. Joe Biden can't pay your debt. Who can? They would be destroyed as well. We need someone who is capable of paying the debt. Who could that be? There's none on earth. So God himself, the only one who is capable of paying the debt so that we might be freed from the slavery, might be freed from the chains that we have to that debt, so we might be rescued from the consequences, the punishment for our sin that we deserve. God is the only one capable of paying that debt. But how is the infinite, powerful, sovereign, you know, uh, uh, invulnerable God going to pay that debt that requires blood. Well, the unbreakable God must be made breakable. The invulnerable God must be made vulnerable. The God who could not bleed had to be made capable of bleeding. He had to become the most vulnerable thing on earth, a baby. God came down to this earth as a baby as a child, but born so that he might be made weak, so that he might have flesh and blood, so that he might be destructible, so that whenever he went, so that whenever Jesus, the God-man, went to the cross, he might be destroyed for our sin. 
he might bleed to wipe away the death that should have been paid for with our blood. The angels declare, a Savior is born to you. But this Savior was born to die and to bleed, to take our penalty upon himself. And so the question is this. Friends, will you open your heart to him? His salvation, his rescuing work is not applied to those who do not recognize their need, confess that they need salvation, and then embrace his salvation. You cannot think, oh, this news is great, and then just go on with your life without submitting to him as your Lord now, without embracing him and and receiving him as your Savior now, saying that he has indeed paid my debt, and now my life belongs to him. If you leave today just trying to go on with your same old life, if you leave today trying to continue going on as though as though you are ultimately in control or as though you ultimately own your own life, he is not your savior. You must open your heart and life to him and recognize if he has paid my debt, he now owns me. I am his. I was once a slave to sin, but now I am now a slave to him. He is is mine and I am his. You must embrace him. You know, in the the classic story, if you go read verses 1 through 7 of Luke chapter 2, the preceding from what we read, it tells the classic story of Jesus and Mary going to Bethlehem, Mary being pregnant with baby Jesus. There's no room for them in the inn, and so he is born in a manger. What a humiliation for our God, but it's not too low for him. He is born in a manger because there's no room for him in the end. And how sad is it that there's often no room for him in our hearts? Because of our sin, because of our pride, because of the things that we are holding on to. Remember what I said before? Make room. Confess and make room in your heart so that he might come in and take residence. So repent of your pride. Practically, what does this mean? You might say it's a great message. Maybe some of you guys recognize that you have never received Christ as your Savior. You have never had him wipe away your record of debt, but you are still carrying it around. Or maybe you're recognizing that you have never confessed your pride and your sin to him so that he might wash it away and now fill you with himself. Maybe you're recognizing that. And so you say, well, what do I do? Maybe some of you guys, you've been walking with Christ. You have been following him, but you you know, I haven't been filled with him lately. I've been filling myself on my pride. I have been filling myself on my my sin. I've been pushing him out, not making room for him. I've been allowing my flesh to reign over me more than the spirit, and I need a refilling. What do we do? You go to God in prayer. You see, our God is not distant and hidden away in sacred places or in temples. He's not separated, hidden away from us in heaven, too far away from us to be able to reach. He's not so far away from us that we need the intermediaries of priests, of sacrifices, or of anything else. But he is intimate and available to us in prayer. 
In prayer, we can go directly before him and in prayer, confess our sin before him, emptying ourselves before him. Prayer, going before him, dying to ourselves so that we might receive the resurrection life that he offers us. The answer, guys, is prayer. And so some of you need to pray for the first time. Pray to the Lord for salvation. Confess your sin, your pride. Confess that you are in need of rescue, a rescue that you cannot accomplish yourself, that left to yourself, your end is hell. Your end is separation from him. Your end is destruction. Confess that need for rescue to him and embrace his salvation, and you will be saved. That record will be wiped away. Your sin will be forgiven, and you will be filled with the great joy declared by angels. And Christian, some of you guys need to be refilled with that joy. You are, it's sad, but let's face it, not exactly the picture of joy. You've allowed yourself, you've allowed your pride, you've allowed sin to make you miserable. And that's not a good Christian. We need joyful Christians. You need joy. And so you need to pray as well. You need to confess before God as well. Deflate yourself from your pride so that he might fill you with the wind of the Spirit and the joy of Christmas. I'll be in the back if any of you want to pray. If any of you want to pray for salvation, to pray that prayer for the first time. Or if any of you guys recognize, you know, I've been a bad, joyless Christian. and I need that joy. I need to return to Christ. I'd be happy to pray with you as well. I'll be available in the back. Let us all go together before the Lord now. Lord, we thank you for the evangel of the angels, the good news that you declare and bring to us, Father. Lord, help every single one of us this morning to recognize our need, to recognize our state without you. And so then to confess that before you, to lay it down before you, to take away the power of sin through confession, to take away the power of darkness through laying it down before the light so we might be then refilled up with Christ, with the Holy Spirit, with a knowledge of God that is not just in our heads, but that lifts our souls and that gives us Christmas joy. Lord, in this Advent season, we pray for that joy over every single one of us here this morning. In the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, amen.